You're listening to The Crossroad Podcast with Joey Willis. Through redefining effective leadership, The Crossroad Podcast explores what it means to live a life of intention and purpose. Join us as we explore the ins and outs of effective leadership and vibrant living. So a couple months ago, Kylie and I were visiting a friend who is building their own home. And we got this tour of of their progress, of how things were going so far. Uh, And this thing was in very early stages. It was kind of a skeleton of a thing. There was the frame of walls and things like that. There was even a, their dog was just kind of like weaving in and out of where walls are eventually going to be. But the framework was there. And so we went from from one room to the next while they described to us what this was going to look like and what the idea was. And you could see some evidence of it. You could see the outline of windows. You could see where doors were going to go. You could see bathrooms and closets and different types of things. And this is a big home. This is a couple of stories. And we got to one room on the second story and we stopped and we spent probably at least a th- at least half, maybe two thirds of our time in this one room because it was the real focal point, the the thing they were the most proud of and the room that they felt was uh, the real cornerstone where their family was going to spend the most time. They've got kids. And so it was this sort of uh, playroom um, that was going to also serve as as uh, just like a, a living space. Too difficult to explain. But but basically, my point is that we spend a lot of time in this room. So it occurs to me on episode six here of season three, talking about what it looks like to build culture and build an organization, that that is an apt metaphor for where we are in this podcast. We've got a little bit of structure. We've We've got some things built up. And if you look around, you can really start to imagine how the things we've talked about could help to create a highly effective, positive, healthy culture in your organization. You can start to imagine what life in this organization will look like. What we want to do in this episode is, well, let me say it this way. We have gotten in this episode to that room that we need to spend a lot of time in. Because what we're going to talk about today is how does your organization react and respond when things don't go well, particularly uh, with the issue of blame and finding fault with one another. And just like in my story, this is perhaps the most important room when we talk about building the culture of an organization. Why is it so important for us to, to be intentional about the way we react to fault about the way that we respond when things don't go well. Uh, That's where we're going to camp for for the next 20 minutes, 30 minutes or so. When setting a culture in an organization, when building one on purpose, there is perhaps nothing more important than the way we answer this question. Whose fault is it when things go wrong? Now, all of you have been parts of families, parts of jobs, parts of friend groups, parts of different organizations. And they've all have to grapple with this question in some way, shape or form. Whose fault is it? Whose fault is it? Where does the blame get pressed and why? And the reason that this is so important, well, there's there's several reasons that this is important. The first is that we fail constantly. We are just like 
We're imperfect people, therefore we are imperfect organizations. And so there's nobody, there's no place, there's no entity that gets it right all the time. Failing, falling short is just a constant reality in the world that we live in. And so the way that we respond to those failings matters because the opportunity to respond to failings is going to be relatively ever-present in your organization. There's going to be mistakes big and small that are happening throughout the entirety of your organizational structure. How you respond to those, the choices that you make in reaction when things go poorly, is a huge step to establishing culture, to communicating value. So mistakes are inevitable. How we deal with them, therefore, is important. One of the things I've really started to see around me, certainly in my own life, but also in the organizations I'm a part of is that we tend to focus on the negative. We focus on negativity. Uh, and I think we do this because we have a hyper awareness and a hyper focus when things are not going well. And I really think that the reason for this is because when things are when things are going well, we tend to take it for granted. We look at our successes, generally speaking, day in and day out, especially small successes. And there's this little thing in the back of our heads that just kind of says like, yeah, well, that's the way it should be like that guy said something nice to that other guy that's just the way that it should be and so we maybe smile and appreciate it in a, in a subtle way but we also don't focus on it because a big part of what we're trying to do as humans is make things the way they should be and so when they are the way thing, things should be there can be an element of sort of apathy or complacency that comes along on the other hand when things are not the way they should be we're very aware of it and that's bothersome to us it feels unjust it feels wrong and, and the more and more we experience that the the more upset the more frustrated the more focused we become. So we start to view problems, we start to see our mistakes more often sometimes than we see our successes. And I don't know that there's necessarily something wrong with that. It's just something that we need to be aware of. Our dean of students at the school that we work with did a great exercise a couple of weeks ago where he asked us to just slow down and talk about some of the things that are going well, just because we've been taking them for granted. We've been very focused on the negative. We've been looking at the problems that need to be solved. A lot of times that's kind of how we view our roles. We need to solve problems. We need to fix the things that are wrong. And we can kind of gloss over the reality that we also need to like celebrate and acknowledge and experience gratitude when things are going well. So because we have such a hyper-awareness of imperfection, because there's this kind of zeroing in on negativity, that makes our reaction to it that much more important and that much more powerful. Because, like I said before, I don't know that there's anything wrong to all of this. We should certainly be more balanced, but we just have to understand that focusing on the negative is just a, a thing that we're going to do. And so how we respond to that is going to go a long way in establishing the culture of our organization. So because of all of this, we focus on our mistakes. We see them. Uh, they are big, glaring things that, that we do just can't, we just feel like we can't ignore. So we, we view mistakes as negative, as, as problematic, um, as injustice. And so the way that we respond is, is a weighty consideration for our organization. 
And if we're talking about what does it look like to build a culture with intention, what we're suggesting today is we have to be intentional about the way we respond to mistakes. We have to be intentional about the way that we respond to negativity and to problems because it's not going anywhere. You are going to continue to make mistakes. The people around you are going to continue to make mistakes. Your organization is going to continue to be imperfect. And of course, we want to strive towards betterment. But what we don't want to do is hold this false expectation that uh, this one mistake is the one thing that's going wrong. And if we fix it, everything will be perfect. Or, you know, the redemption of this one mistake would mean we're in the clear forever. But even more important than that, what we want to do is say we're not going to trust our emotional or circumstantial responses to a problem. We're going to be intentional about what it looks like to solve problems before problems start to occur. So there's really two ways that organizations look at failure, at failing. The first is uh, a missional failing, uh, and the second is personal failing. So if you're in an organization that views failing as a missional failing, what you're essentially saying is like, look, the what matters here is the vision, the mission that we're trying to attain. And shortcomings, mistakes, failures, even if they're of a personal nature are failings of the mission. They are inadequacies when measured up to what we are trying to do, what we're trying to be as an organization. And when you frame failing in this way as a missional failing, what you're essentially saying is we're on a we're on a team. Uh, it's like in when you watch a professional football game or something and you know, things go poorly and somebody says afterwards, like uh, they, there's an interview question that's somewhere along the lines of, uh, you know, your teammate was really awful. What do you think about that? And, and the person being interviewed, the player being interviewed will say like, well, you know, we win as a team, we lose as a team. That's what I'm talking about here. To view failing as something that is measured up against our mission. If we can train ourselves to use that kind of language and to adopt that kind of perspective, it gives us the best chance to have an effective, healthy organization, to have a positive culture. Because when we view failing as a missional failing, it gives us a chance to learn. It reframes failing as an opportunity to come together and to move forward together. And if you'll remember, we've said several times that a dysfunctional organization is an organization that has different missions, competing missions, where members of the organization are heading in different directions towards different ends. And so when we hold our failings up against the mission, we can continue this sense of unity. We can learn and grow and recover together. We can deal with the consequences together because the failing is missional the redemption is missional our focus is on what unites us and what brings us together and what we can do to get there the alternative is to view failing as a personal failing when we do this what we're basically saying is that failing is always an individual problem and so if person A fails, then person A fails. And what we tend to do is if I'm person B through Z, <laughs> then what I want to do is distance myself from person A. I don't want to bring that anywhere near me. And so we do this with, you know, kind of blame shifting. We'll point the finger. We'll say like, look, it's, it's a personal failing of person A. It has nothing to do with me. I didn't do anything wrong, right? When we do this, it creates a culture of uh, divisiveness and defensiveness. Um, we become people who are trigger happy and the weapon that we're holding 
is blame. And what that does is it turns our co-laborers into competitors and you know enemies in a, in a greater sense rather than teammates. So instead of saying we're in this thing together, how do we learn and grow and progress? What we say is like, I'm over here, you're over there, you need to fix what's going on when, with you. Um, this has nothing to do with me. Uh, and what happens often in organizations is, you know, person A doesn't take this lying down. They say, it's not my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. It was you, person B. And so we get into these competitive sort of standoffs where uh, it's my reputation, it's my prestige, it's my ability, it's my personality that's on the line. And it turns co-laborers, it turns participants in an organization from collaborators and teammates into competitors and enemies. So it's easy to see here what the uh, dis- how this creates a dysfunctional culture, a dysfunctional organization. Person A and person B have competing missions. They're both trying to get, uh, so person A is trying to get person A out of trouble, person B is trying to get person B out of trouble. And so if that requires throwing one another at the bus, then then they'll do that. If that requires, you know, blaming the CEO or blaming the uh, situation or blaming the client or blaming whatever, whatever you can to get it off of you, that's what we'll do. When we talk about dysfunctional culture as competing missions, most of the time in an organization, that competition, uh, that divergence is between different personal missions. And so I might want to be CEO, but so does person B. And so we have two different missions. So when failing happens, when a problem comes, in order for me to continue on the trajectory I want to be on, which is to be CEO, I got to make sure that there's no blame placed on me. I've got to make sure that this failing doesn't become a personal failing that gets tacked on to me and stuck in my file because that's going to undermine my ability to progress to what I want to progress to. So when we do this, it creates all of these personal dynamics, these personal dysfunctions, but the greater reality is that it creates a culture of dysfunction. And what gets lost in all of this is the mission that unites us in the first place, the thing that we're trying to do together. I'm sure most of you listening have been in a situation where you're dreading going to work or you're dreading going to a family function or something because there's just so much tension between two persons. Could be you, it could be somebody else. It's all encompassing. It's taken the entire identity of what the organization is. And so work isn't whatever work is supposed to be. Work is watching this boxing match between two of your coworkers or between you and one of your coworkers. And that becomes a part of the culture. That becomes the mission. That becomes the thing that we're aware of and the thing that drives us. So when it comes to addressing failing, we have got to communicate to all participants that anything that goes wrong is a we situation. And you know, if person A is clearly the one who makes a mistake, We need to rally behind that person, make sure there's adequate consequences, but also that they aren't destroyed and and shunned from the organization. We've got to view failing as an opportunity for us to come together, an opportunity for us to reevaluate our here and to continue towards our mission. One of my favorite stories is uh, found in a book by Stephen King called On Writing, where He's just talking about his experiences with writing and what he's been through. And and, uh, he gets this giant like railroad spike of a nail and sticks it into his wall. This is like in the 70s, I think. And and, uh, he would mail out all of his manuscripts and and they would send back through snail mail all of these rejection letters. And he would just grab them and stick them on the spike. And he just like, I don't remember the exact story, but he filled up, I think, an entire spike, maybe multiple spikes 
with these rejection letters. And you hear these kinds of things all the time. There's nobody who's successful who hasn't been through failings. And, you know, there's nobody who's miserable who hasn't been through failings. Failings is a natural part of what we have to experience. We are so afraid of that. We're so afraid of acknowledging that we're not perfect. We live in this social media world. We live in this place where we look across the street and our neighbors seem to be smiling all the time. And we start to to say like, well, they seem perfect. Why can't I figure out my own way to get there? And so we're stuck in these in these narratives, in these fears. And, you know, let me just blow it up for you right now. Nobody's perfect. Everybody's having a difficult time. Everybody's struggling. Everyone is trying to make their way and trying to make sense of the world. Man, I remember when I was a teenager and I would think to myself, gosh, I can't wait until I'm an adult and everybody's mature and it's just clear like what life is about. I had no idea where I was heading because I uh, am an adult now. I'll be 40 next year. And you know, I feel like the people around me are, are just as immature and just as unsure what life is about as I was, as my friends were, as my peers were when I was 17 or 18. It, it looks a little bit different, but there's still the same degree of uncertainty and the same capacity for foolishness as as there was back then. There's no growing out of failing, of falling short. So what we need to do is work in our organizations to develop a plan to communicate what it's going to look like when we fail. How are we going to react? You know, we talked about the choice between quitting and persevering, and that's part of it. But also what we need to do is talk about how are we going to treat failing collectively? How are we going to think about it? And what are we going to do to make sure we have measures in place that propel us towards our mission rather than divert us away from it? On a personal level, there are really two perspectives any human adopts. And we talk about those as two different circles. There's a victim circle and a freedom circle. So if you're in the victim circle, then you have this mindset that everything is happening to you. And it's a defense mechanism. This is a way that we sort of cope with our feelings of uh, inadequacy and our feelings of not being able to control everything that's around us. And so what we do is we say like, all right, in order for me to be okay, the things outside of me need to change. So I'm obviously being affected by the people that I work with. Well, then if I'm unhappy, what needs to happen is those people who are affecting me need to change and do better so that I will be better and I will feel better. And so we view ourselves as victims. We view ourselves as uh, the outcome of our surroundings and the things that are happening to us. Now, obviously, we are affected by the things that are happening to us. Um, but what the victim circle is, is a perspective choice about that as your foundational reality that as your deepest truth. The other option is what we call the freedom circle. And in the freedom circle, you understand that you have the ability to affect people around you, circumstances around you, relationships that you're in, organizations that you're a part of. You see yourself as an active agent, a key contributor to your own life, first and foremost, and a key contributor to the world that you live in. Kylie and I have been trying to get pregnant for the better part of five years and a lot of times you hear this thing about having kids of like, why would you bring a baby into this world? Um, you know, this vulnerable little uh, baby in such a dangerous place where there's so much evil and there's so much craziness happening. Well, that certainly makes sense. But the way that Kylie and I think about it is like, this world is crazy and evil and we need people who are going to come in and affect it and change it. 
So I'm not so much focused on bringing a baby into this world in terms of what might happen to the baby, but in terms of what might happen to the world. What is that? What is our kid gonna do? They're they're not just gonna be a vulnerable infant for their entire lives. They're gonna grow into an adult, and as they learn and grow and and step into the life that they are living, as they begin to really steward the journey that they're on, that's gonna have an impact on on the world around them. And so again, there is definitely in reality, practical reality, a balance. Things do affect you, and you need to acknowledge that and 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 deal with the. Re- percussions, the reality of that, you've got to call our here what it is. We've got to name it accurately. But the other thing that we so often forget is that we are contributors. We are agents, active agents in the organizations that we're a part of. And when we talk about the two circles, what we're saying is that although both of those are true to varying degrees, you have to choose one of the two to be your base, your foundation for how you view your life and the world around you. And so what we want to do is uh, encourage every member of our organizations, every participant in the mission that brings us together to view themselves foundationally as key contributors, contributors, as Freedom Circle members, as people who have the power and the ability to affect the culture that's around them uh, and to affect the world that's around them, to affect the organizations that are around them, and certainly uh, to be the not just the key contributor, but the main contributor in stewarding their own personal character. One of the things that I love about the two circles, uh, just the victim and freedom circle mentality, is that it gives us a real chance to kind of depersonalize failings and falling short and blame. Instead of, a lot of times we deal with these issues when it's like Bill and John are having a very particular issue at a very particular time with very particular nuances and reasons and argumentation. And all of that is important, but what can happen is we can get so lost in the particulars that we fail to recognize that there are some things that are prevalent in this particular that are not true across the board. And we can lose sight of that foundational perspective choice of where we orient ourselves because of how we feel in this particular circumstance or setting. So what we advise is that you have a conversation in your organization about choosing between the victim circle and the freedom circle, about making an active choice to say, I'm going to acknowledge the things that happen around me and I'm going to acknowledge the effect that that has on me. But at the end of the day, I'm going to focus on stewarding the only thing that I can steward, which is my own ability to influence, my own ability to move forward. My own ability to progress, to learn and to grow and to actively participate. And, you know, sometimes taking ownership of what you can do means initiating uh, some conflict resolution or some conversation that needs to be had between you and, and another party that, that might have done something to hurt you. All of this to say that the way that we think, the mental model that we use to orient ourselves in how we relate to one another and our failings is going to be massive for the way that culture is developed in our organizations. It is one of those biggest rooms that we're going to spend a lot of time in. So as we're constructing the culture of our organization, it really needs some time and attention because it's complicated and emotions are high and there's so much at stake with this. We need to make sure that we're giving it adequate time. If we can be people who, generally speaking, choose into the freedom circle, if we have an organization where 
most of the members, if not all of the members, are choosing into the Freedom Circle. Equally important, if we develop some strategies where we celebrate opting into the Freedom Circle, even when opting into the Freedom Circle seems to cost a person, if we can celebrate, if we can celebrate that and focus in on that, it's going to create a culture of cooperation. Because what's going to happen is person A is going to say like, "Look, what you did is messed up and was really like not helpful for me." But I also like said this, and I realized that was a problem. So here's what I'm going to do to try to bring us back in alignment with our mission. That's the Freedom Circle at work. And when we, you know, if, if the other person in that scenario has the same sort of mindset and has the same sort of reaction, well, then our failings have now become something that has brought us together, has tightened the bond within our team, and has further equipped us and encouraged us to move forward and chase after the vision and the mission that unites us as an organization. So choosing in, opting into the Freedom Circle creates a culture of cooperation. Let me show, let me give you a couple of quick examples of what this looks like in, in practice, practice speaking. Um, and, and I'll do that by showing you the other side. You know, if we celebrate victim mentality, if we celebrate blame shifting, uh, then those things will become prevalent in our organization. They will become a part of the culture. And what we will create there, therefore, is a culture of contradiction. So rather than cooperation, we'll create contradiction, which is just another way of saying dysfunction in the way we've talked about that before. So if you have somebody who comes into your office and says, hey, we didn't meet our numbers this week. Uh, it's Bill's fault. If you are like, oh, gosh, thank you, John. Thank you for telling me. And then you march over to Bill's office and you scream at him in front of everybody without any you know, further evidence or further context. What you're doing is you're celebrating, in a perverse sense, a culture of blame shifting. You're celebrating this idea of uh, pitting one person against one another, this culture of contradiction. You know, we like the idea of Freedom Circle. We like the idea of someone taking responsibility. Um, but, you know, it's hard. Like, if Bill comes in and says to you, like, ah, we didn't make our numbers this week, and it's mostly on me. Like, I made some mistakes. I could have done better. I didn't hit hit uh, my markers for, for this quarter and uh, I've just been busy. What Bill is doing there is really inviting you to respond to his freedom circle, taking ownership and taking responsibility for his part to play in it. Now, if you react to that by screaming at Bill and by uh, berating him and by making an example of him in front of everybody else, what you're doing is you're um, communicating that stepping out and taking responsibility is a shameful behavior. Now, there is a way <laughs> For you to say, Bill, I I appreciate you coming to me. I appreciate you bringing this to me. I appreciate you taking ownership of that. And I really want to celebrate that. There, there does maybe need to be consequences. There are things that need to be put in place and there are some repercussions. It's not about taking the consequence element out of it. It's just about how, it's about how we talk about it and the subtle values that we're communicating. There's one reason that people like suck up at work. It's because it is effective. People do it because it works. I like it when somebody tells me about like, you know, how good my hair looks or or how uh, how nice I look in my shirt or or how good my tan from my trip is. Like, I like it. It makes me feel good. So people will, will continue to do it if I continue to reinforce that behavior. And so if something goes wrong, when somebody comes to you and says like, I know exactly who's to blame, it's that guy over there. There's something about that that feels good. It's like, great, we have a place to aim our frustration at failing. We have a place to aim our negativity. So let's 
let's all put that person in our sights and take them down. And that is a defense mechanism. And it's a it's a way for us as an organization to try to remove failure from being a corporate issue and turn it into a personal one. And when we do that, we isolate people, we move them away, and we don't take responsibility communally for the mistakes that we're making. And so this is the whole idea of a scapegoat. We might have a scapegoat and that might be effective to get us through this particular situation, but I guarantee that the underlying issues or maybe a a new underlying issue of having this sort of culture is going to manifest in more failings in the future, probably very soon in the future. It's going to create this this culture of contradiction. And so we are are so short-sighted. We think so much in the short term and we don't think about what's best for our organization and for the members of our organization. And so in order for us to to build a healthy culture, an effective culture, effective organizational culture, we need to opt in to freedom mentality and we need to celebrate freedom mentality. We need to celebrate when people are taking ownership. The person who comes to you and admits their fault is most equipped to help you moving forward. The person who pretends like they don't have any faults or who shifts blame or who hides whenever uh, fault is exposed corporately, um, that, that person, you know, they, they can make you feel better, but they're not going to help your organization move towards the mission that you want. So we want a culture where members take ownership. And to do this, they need to feel safe and they need to feel motivated. And we provide that in organizations by the way we respond to failure. If we respond to failure by uh, overreacting and by berating and by making things personal, everyone involved, not just the person that it's aimed at, but everyone is going to see that and say like, all right, it's not safe to make a mistake. Therefore, if I do make a mistake, I have got to hide it. I got to cover it up or I've got to find a scapegoat that I can latch it onto so that I don't get treated the same way that that I'm witnessing somebody else in the organization being treated right now. The way that we do that, the way that we conceive that, the way that we train one another in our organizations to do that is, again, perhaps the biggest room in this whole idea of organizational structure and setting culture. We are going to make mistakes. We are going to fall short. People are imperfect, uh, sometimes dramatically imperfect. And what we've got to do is decide, all right, when one of these fault lines exposes themselves, when something happens, happens, are we going to unite around that and use it as an opportunity to grow towards the mission? Or is it going to be the source of division and contradiction? Are we going to be people who blame one another or people who build one another up? Are we going to be people who honor um, taking ownership? Or are we going to be people who punish and shame in certain ways, taking ownership and raising your hand to admit your part to play in a fault? Because when we raise our hand and admit our part to play in a fault, we have taken the first step in owning our ability to get back on track and to influence our organization toward the shared mission moving forward. Thank you for listening to the Crossroad Podcast. The world is out there waiting for you to become the best leader you can possibly be. We hope our conversations have helped. For more, please visit our website, thecrossroad.net.